Hi everyone and welcome to episode 8 of Infraction, our true crime podcast. I'm Nadia. And I'm Sally. And for those eagle-eyed listeners out there, you will see that this episode is not the episode I said we were going to do at the end of last week. Um, I'm really sorry I stumbled across this case and got lost in a research hole and before I knew it, it was today and all my notes were on this case. So today we're going to be talking about an adoption of three brothers that ended in two of those brothers vanishing without a trace. This case is set in Monument in Colorado in the US and it starts in the 1990s. Dylan was born in November of 1992 and his brother Austin was born in January of 1996. The pair also had another younger brother who was born a couple of years after Austin and this younger brother's name isn't really clear. Uh, If you look into the case you'll see that in some places his name is reported as being James but really he isn't largely referenced in any articles or police reports because he isn't one of the brothers who goes missing and there has never been any ambiguity over his whereabouts or what happened to him hence the reason he doesn't really appear in any reports. So there's three biological brothers uh, but this case really just focuses on the older brother Dylan and the middle brother Austin. There is very little information out there about the boy's biological mother. However, from what I can tell, she was a single mother of the three boys and suffered from several mental illnesses. It's reported in several places that she suffered from bipolar and depression, and in one place I also saw that she suffered from PTSD. So unfortunately, she was quite an unwell woman, and because of this, she found it hard to look after her three children. Sort of adding to this, Dylan had ADHD and Austin has been reported as having special needs, which I guess slightly added to the level of care they needed and the amount of attention their mother needed to give them. In the very late 1990s, and there's not a specific year out there, but I think it was 98 or 99, the school raised some concerns about the boys' living conditions. Social services intervened and the three boys were taken into foster care. They were fostered by Edward and Linda Bryant and the boy's biological mother was allowed to visit them once during the week and then again on weekends. For the first few months, this situation worked out really well. The boy's biological mother was able to take the time she needed to work on herself and the boys were looked after very well by Edward and Linda Bryant and they seemed really happy. Because of this, Linda asked if her and her husband could legally adopt the three boys. This was a really difficult decision for the boy's biological mother to make. She really wanted the boys to have a mum and a dad and for them to be happy, which she could see that they were with Linda and Edward. But on the other hand, she wasn't sure if she wanted this situation to be permanent and it wasn't something that she had ever considered when the boys had first been taken into foster care. Yeah, it must be really hard to sign over control of your children on that kind of permanent basis. Mm -hmm. So you can see why she might be a bit torn. Absolutely. And they've only been at this point fostered for a few months. So it really hasn't been that long that that the boys have been out of her care. So I think, yeah, from her point of view, she could see that they were happy and that they, and she said as well that they did deserve like a good family unit, but it's hard, isn't it? Because when your kids go into foster care, I'm sure you don't ever think that it would be permanent like this was going to be. However, like I mentioned, she could see that the boys were happy and healthy and she felt they did deserve the good family unit and that she had this with Linda and Edward Bryant. So she did agree for them to legally adopt her three boys. Unfortunately, after this decision was made, things started rapidly changing. The couple renamed Dylan, the eldest boy, to Edward Dylan Bryant, giving him the name of his adopted father. What? Yeah, this really upset him because at this point he was six years old um, and he didn't want to go by the name Edward. And I mean, what an identity crisis he must be having at that point because he's been called Dylan his entire life and now he's just been renamed after this man who really he doesn't actually know. Yeah, and I just don't think it's within anyone's right to rename another human being who as you say I mean 
well, I still don't particularly think it's right if they're a six-month-old baby, but particularly for a young child mm-hmm. who's already going through quite a traumatic transition, even if it might be a positive one to a nice family, that's still a huge, huge thing for a child to go through. Mm-hmm. And then just to rename him, I think, completely takes away, yeah, as you say, a sense of identity. I think that's quite shocking. Yeah, and I felt the exact same way. And, and Dylan also felt the same way. He then began to retaliate and lash out. And um, his biological mother said that she'd never seen him like this before. And apparently, like, he was, like, using swear words and things like that. And he'd never used them before. So this obviously really affected him quite deeply. But um, unfortunately, it it did go ahead and his name was legally changed. Um, so in all the reports on this case, he's either called Edward or Edward Dylan. So for the rest of this episode, I will be calling him Edward Dylan just to kind of ease the confusion if people do go on to look at this case afterwards. Um, but he's not the only one that this happened to. Um, Austin did get to keep his name, although they did change the spelling of Austin. So I think he spelt it with a T-E-N at the end, um, but they changed it to T-I-N at the end. And they also gave him the middle name Eugene, which was the middle name of the adopted father as well. At this point, Edward, Dylan and Austin were still in contact with their biological mother and they would regularly speak to her on the phone. I saw uh, somewhere that at this point the boys asked their mother when they were going to be able to come home, um, which of course must have been so harrowing for her, but the boys didn't yet realise that Linda and Edward Bryant were their legal parents now as the adoption was being finalised and they wouldn't be able to go home. Still, she kept in contact with them for the first month or so, but slowly Linda would stop letting the boys come to the phone or would say that they were unavailable. After a while, Linda told her to just stop contacting them altogether. The last time she got to speak to her biological sons was in December of 1999, just before Christmas. She has not heard from either Edward Dillon or Austin since then. In early 2000, the adoption was finalised. Edward Dillon was seven years old, Austin was four years old, and their younger brother was reportedly around one and a half years old. I mentioned earlier that the boys had special needs and, because of this, Linda and Edward Bryant were awarded a subsidy of $1,800 a month by the government in order to look after the boys. In order to receive this monthly sum, they had to provide to the government documentation that evidence that the boys were still living with them and that they were going to school and were receiving an education. Other than this monthly report that the couple had to submit to the state, the state had no other legal obligation towards the boys. Under Colorado state law, once children have been legally adopted into a family, the state or social workers cannot intervene unless there are reports of neglect or abuse. And at first, I did find this quite hard to understand, but I guess it does make sense. Like, there are so many checks in place for before adoptions, um, but like before they're finalised. And I guess it is only fair that once children are adopted, they are left to just be a family and, and like social services don't intervene with biological families, do they? Unless there are reports and things like that. So I guess I do understand it. I don't particularly agree with it, though, because I think regardless of that, um, I mean, be it genetics or sometimes like the trauma of adoption and things, I think probably adopted children may be slightly more vulnerable. And I don't particularly think it's a huge expense um, to just have an annual visit or check up. Um, I mean, like you say, there's loads of checks in place beforehand, but actually I do think that as a society we have kind of an ongoing duty to any child's welfare, but mm. particularly children that may have already faced some like difficulties in life. And as you've mentioned here, I mean, these children have got additional needs. It'd be completely plausible that they uh, adoptive parents might be having trials and tribulations mm-hmm. throughout this. And so regardless of whether you're you see it as checking up on them or actually just checking in and offering the parents support 
Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. I think that is that is true, actually. It doesn't have to be social services who intervene, but it could just be like a family therapist or something like that, just someone to drop in and just like make sure that everyone's kind of working together in the sort of correct family unit and helping out, especially because the boys have special needs. Yeah, absolutely. I would have thought as well that the state would want to be sort of more involved, especially because they're giving, what, a shade under £2,000 a month to this family. I'm quite surprised that they didn't want to you know, pop round and just make sure that everything was okay and that kind of thing. Yeah, that's what I think. It's already a huge investment um, from the state at this point, it sounds. So you can't imagine that, and and obviously this adds up if you're doing it for every family around the country, Mm -hmm. but then an hour of a social worker's time just to go in Mm -hmm. and do some sort of annual review. um, It seems odd that they'd stop like the resources or funding there, but fine with the monthly payments. Mm -hmm. Well, because of this lack of state intervention the reports on what happened to these boys just sort of disappear i did read in the denver post that two years after their adoption so in 2002 there was an incident where austin was reported to the police as having run away the police searched the area around the house where the family lived and they found austin hiding in some bushes near the home the article reports that austin said he was scared of all the commotion of the police being there and that's why he hadn't immediately come out but there is no report to say that he ran away because he was being abused or neglected or anything like that and so of course social services didn't get involved after this incident no and i mean loads of kids run away don't they they used to run yeah. to the end of the drive <laughs> most weeks <laughs> even me as an adult i sometimes feel the need to do that <laughs> <laughs> So after this incident in 2002, there's really no other real information out there regarding the boys for the next few years. The next bit of information on the family is that in 2005, they moved from Colorado to Texas and Linda and Edward sold the properties they had in Colorado. The next record is from 2007 and shows that Edward and Linda Bryant filed for bankruptcy. In the bankruptcy documents, they wrote that they had eight children living with them with the ages of all eight children listed. Two of the ages match the age that Edward Dillon and Austin would have been. They also claim they were receiving $5,500 a month in adoption subsidies. Therefore, it seemed that after adopting the three boys, the couple had gone on to adopt five more children. Blimey. Eight kids is a lot. So in 2011, three years after the couple had filed for bankruptcy and six years after the family had moved from Colorado to Texas two men went to the Colorado Springs Police Department and reported that they had not seen Austin since before the family had moved to Texas. The two men were reportedly former foster children of the Bryant's only biological child and had been living with the family in 2003. So it's a bit tricky, but Linda and Edward Bryant had one biological daughter named Tammy and she had also been a foster carer. In 2003, she had been living with her parents and had fostered two boys. Therefore, her foster children and the adopted boys were all living together in the same place. And now in 2011, these two foster kids are grown up and they've gone to the Colorado Police Department to report that they think Austin had gone missing somewhere between 2003, when they had been fostered, and 2005, when the family moved to Texas. These two men told the police that when they were foster kids, they had seen Austin being abused by Linda and Edward Bryant. They said they'd seen Austin locked in a trunk in the garage and that he was starved of food, that he was rolled in blankets so tightly he couldn't move and that he occasionally had black eyes and welts on his body. Fucking hell. The investigators tracked down another young man who had been adopted by the Bryants and he also confirmed that Austin had been locked in a trunk and that at times Austin would have to eat out of a bin because he was hungry. 
He said the last time he saw Rostin had been sometime in 2003. So just for reference, at this point, this is all coming out in 2011. So really bloody long time. Yeah. And this man also said that he had moved into the Bryant's home in 2001, just a year and a half after the boys had moved there, and that he had never seen Edward Dillon. Oh my God. The authorities spoke to both Linda and Edward Bryant. They were interviewed separately by the police because by this time in 2011, the couple had separated. Linda told the authorities that the boys were fine and that they had lived with her until they'd grown old enough to move out. She didn't give a date or a year when the boys supposedly move out. But can I just say, at this point in 2011, when she is being interviewed by the police, Austin would only have been 15 years old. That's what I was thinking. My personal view on that is 15 is not old enough for a child to move out and no longer be in contact with their parents. No, absolutely. And that's literally assuming that he moved out just that year or just a few months before the police arrived. But I mean, even if he'd moved out the day before the police arrived, he still would have been a minor. And I think if you have adopted these children, you have a duty to report that they have moved out as a minor. Like I don't know if... I'm not saying mm-hmm. that's a law. I just think personally because... Say, for example, you or I did, um, we'd have quite a significant amount of extended family, etc., who may be looking after us and, and all of that. Whereas mm. I just think in this situation, you've got a child who is probably classified as slightly like vulnerable um, and it just seems completely bizarre. They wouldn't report or even mention um, that, like you say, a 15-year-old has moved out and not only that, they've lost complete contact. Mm-hmm. No, that's really true. I hadn't thought about that. The fact that in most situations, there might be extended family who uh, could look after them or um, could, would even report them missing or that kind of thing. But yeah, these boys wouldn't have had any of that. Can I just ask one more question? Yeah, yeah. Um, so we've heard, obviously, that Austin's apparently faced kind of abuse from his parents. Um, had any of the other boys at this point or does it seem like it was specific to austin um so from all the reports that i've seen it seems like it was specific to austin that's not saying that edward dylan didn't face any abuse just that everyone that they spoke to had never even seen edward dylan so um it doesn't really appear that anyone would have witnessed the abuse of him um but it doesn't look like that any of the other children so any of the other foster children or any of the other adopted children suffered abuse either that's not to say that it didn't happen it's just that there aren't any reports out there on it yeah and i mean it's interesting as well that they from the sounds of things voluntarily have come forward to the police yeah, anyway did, yeah. i mean at this point they're clearly not in a position where they're desperate to protect their foster adoptive parents no um so i guess you can maybe infer a little bit mm-hmm. from that so in police custody Um, Linda changed her story and said that the two boys had gone to Oklahoma to live with their biological mother. So she changed her story from the fact that they'd been living with her until they moved out. Completely bizarre. Yeah. (laughs) She's now saying that they went to Oklahoma to live with their biological mother. She admitted at this point in her police interview that the boys hadn't actually lived with her for several years. And when pushed a bit harder on that, she said the boys hadn't lived with them since 2003. In Edward's police interview, he was giving the police a different account of what had happened. He said that Edward Dillon had run away in 2001 and that Austin subsequently ran away in 2005. And just for your reference, if Edward Bryant's dates are correct, Edward Dillon would have been eight years old in 2001 and Austin would have been nine years old in 2005. Linda and Edward Bryant never once reported to the authorities that their two sons were missing. What's more than that, though? Not only have they not reported it, they're still claiming the monthly money at this point aren't they yes they yes they are yeah 
and that and we'll go on to talk about that but yeah they are we've got ourselves a crime brewing <laughs> you one step ahead of me girl <laughs> so the police went to oklahoma to find the boy's biological family um and i'm sure it comes as no surprise to you that the two boys were not there and had never been there yes i cannot imagine getting that cool um being their biological mum I know. And someone coming and saying, have you seen your children? And I know. obviously not having, just awful. It is, and like quite rightfully, she just assumed that the boys were still living happy and healthy with the Bryants. And like you said, the police are at her door saying, have you seen them? That Supposedly they're here. Um, yeah, so, and she, you know, she, throughout this whole thing, I do feel like she is also another victim here because she really thought she was doing the right thing and right now she's completely confused she hasn't heard from her kids since 1999 and now in 2011 um she's told that they're missing and that must have been a really heartbreaking moment for her Mm, and for several years like not missing for a night but Mm, yeah the police arrested both linda and edward bryant and they were both charged with theft forgery and attempting to influence a public official they did not receive one charge that related to the disappearance of the two boys The police believed, based off of witness statements and kind of from compiling all the evidence that they had on the boys, that Edward Dillon had been missing since 2001 and that Austin had been missing since 2003. However, Linda and Edward Bryant had been receiving payments from the government subsidy of $1,800 every single month since the boys had been adopted, like you said earlier, Sal. And at the time of their arrest, that's 10 years after they think Edward Dillon went missing. The couple was still receiving benefits to look after these boys. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, they had to fill out these forms each month to prove that the boys were still living with them and were in education. But Linda Bryant had forged all these documents. She had made up the name of a school they supposedly went to and essentially continuously forged each document each month and therefore still received the funds from the government. I think this speaks volumes, though, that there's no verification system in place by the government to check anything that this woman's saying i mean you'd have thought a quick call to a school might have revealed that actually they hadn't seen these children in 10 years i think that's what's so hard in this case though is that these this couple continuously just sort of like slipped through the cracks and everything like that and there was um um so they had to do this monthly report but also every three years they they had to go in for a face-to-face interview with a government official um, just to kind of like confirm everything, confirm that the, that the children were okay and that kind of thing. And that's very standard procedure for anyone receiving these subsidies from the government. And they never once went to one. They never once were called in for one. Or if they were, they managed to get out of it. But the authorities never, ever saw either Edward Dillon or Austin. And bearing in mind, they had to go in every three years. Like, How do you fall through the cracks that many times? Yeah, it's just, it seems really unlikely, but I suppose if you think maybe how many appointments that do go through and go off without a hitch then yeah i don't know maybe statistically it's not that unlikely but mm-hmm. it just it just seems bizarre doesn't it really but there mm-hmm. we go so i said earlier that the family had also adopted another five children into their home they were adopted in the early 2000s um the exact date isn't clear but it was likely before 2005 when the family moved to texas When the authorities came round to do their checks for this second adoption, they didn't see Edward Dillon or Austin. What they did see, however, was picture frames that held photos of the two boys at different ages over the years. Upon later inspection, and after a confession from Linda, they realised that these photos were just random images of boys at different (gasps) ages that Linda had printed off from Google Images. Sorry, at this point, this is just so calculated, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I think you could 
at the start, a little part of me was thinking, okay, awful, your adopted teenage sons have run away. Then it gets pretty strange when you're talking about nine-year-olds, but to continuously lie to the state and Mm -hmm. keep claiming the money, manage to miss these meetings, you know, that's all maybe being a little bit scared to admit what you've done. To Mm -hmm. be so brazen as to adopt another child and put fake photographs into photo frames, Mm -hmm. at that point, I just think you're, you're straight into very calculating, yeah, very bizarre territory. Yeah, and like kind of to add to that, um, I read in one of the um, articles that there had been a scheduled social services visit for something unrelated and um, one of the foster children or one of the other adopted kids actually reported to the authorities after all this kind of came out that Linda had asked him to get one of his friends from school to pose as Austin when the social services lady came round. And in fact, the the lady never did come round from social services. The visit was cancelled and it was never rescheduled. But like the fact that she actually asked one of her sons to get one of his friends to pose as essentially this this boy's brother, it's disgusting. Yeah, and also it's, I mean, stupid. Like, if yeah. I was that kid, I'd go home and be like, bloody hell, I had a weird time at my friend's house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's so true. I mean, but that's just another way in which they slip through the cracks because obviously the visit was cancelled and maybe if it hadn't been cancelled, uh, alarm bells would have been raised or something like that, but nothing nothing came of it. So just another way in which this couple managed to fall through the cracks, really. So upon their arrest in February 2011, both Linda and Edward Bryant were extradited back to Colorado from Texas and held at a $1 million bail. It was discovered that, in total, they had fraudulently claimed a sum of $175,000 for Edward Dillon and Austin after both children were no longer in their home. Linda Bryant admitted that she had intentionally deceived the authorities to continue to receive subsidies from the government. She admitted to making up the names of the schools and educational achievements of the boys on the forms they had to submit monthly. Edward Bryant told the authorities that he had no idea that he had continued to receive payments for the missing boys. Oh, wow. Well, I wish I was in the type of financial position where I didn't even realise almost 2k was coming into my bank account every month for over a decade. Yeah, unless does he mean that he never saw the money? Like, is it possible that Linda's pocketing it here? Mm, I wouldn't have thought so because they had quite a bit of property. Um, and uh, could you, could you, yeah, I guess you could siphon off $175,000. But um, I hadn't thought about that really. In my head, I'm just like, he's a knob but thinking about it maybe because um i did read somewhere that linda in one of her conversations with the police she said that edward had actually nothing to do with it and she asked if she pled guilty to more felonies than would they release him so maybe oh, she... that's nice yeah <laughs> so i don't know maybe he didn't know but I, I really think that's very unlikely i think that's so unlikely yeah um, especially when they've like filed for bankruptcy and that kind of thing. They obviously... Yeah, they're not millionaires here, are they? No, no, no. Um, but with regards to the alleged abuse that Linda actually wasn't being charged for, but was still asked about, she denied ever neglecting or harming the boys. She said that she had taken the boys to therapy, however, and that she had been advised that she should wrap Austin up tightly in blankets so he couldn't move in order to treat him for whatever it was that she was taking him to therapy for. So that's kind of how she denies away the reports that she wrapped him up so tightly that he couldn't move. As far as I can tell, she gave no explanation for his reported black eyes and bruises or the allegations that Austin had to eat out of a bin. In January 2012, Linda pled guilty to 54 felonies. These were four counts of theft, 
two counts of conspiracy to commit theft and 48 counts of attempting to influence a public servant. She was sentenced to 42 years in prison. What? Yeah. <laughs> that seems a huge amount for her to go to prison for, doesn't it? Well, yeah. And so that was for, that's guilty for 54 felonies. Edward pled guilty to five felonies. They were all really similar charges to the ones that Linda was facing, like theft and um, conspiring to commit theft, that kind of thing. Um, he was sentenced to 30 years in prison. So, yeah, both really, really long sentences. But none, no, nothing about the fact that their kids are missing. And also, as well, you said that she wasn't ever convicted of the abuse, but given that they had two uh, supposed eyewitnesses who originally reported all of this, it seems slightly strange to me. I mean, were they interviewed at the trial? The Foster brothers? No, because it wasn't anything to do with it. Like, the whole, the entire case, the entire police investigation, everything was to do with the fact that they defrauded the state. There was nothing, there was nothing in the in anything to do with the fact that these boys were missing or that maybe they were murdered or maybe that they were neglected or anything or even the fact that they never even called the police when they went missing. They weren't even charged with neglect or, you know, even for the fact that they didn't report them missing. I mean, at a minimum, you would have thought they would have been charged with that. But, I mean, they weren't. Yeah, or even to open up like a missing persons inquiry. Because I think what's so striking here is there's one thing losing your child, but as we keep mentioning, there's no definitive report of these children being like alive or present or correct since they were as young as eight years old which to me just seems outrageous that you wouldn't open some kind of lines of inquiry particularly when you've got eyewitness accounts of abuse it's just barbaric it's completely barbaric and um a news article that i read from 2011 stated that the police had opened a murder investigation with regards to the two missing boys but i'm sorry to say really that that's it nine years on from that article and nothing's changed the boys are still listed as missing people and the investigation is still listed as open but nothing else has ever come from this the couple never faced any charges in relation to the disappearance of edward dylan and austin uh the whole area i think around their former home in colorado springs was searched and the boys bodies were never found but this literally this infuriates me so much in nine years there's been no break in the case and i i get right that it's hard to charge or convict someone um of murder when there's no body but surely it all has to be relevant to the situation like these boys were so young they didn't just pack their bags and go rent a flat and live by themselves did they they disappeared and their legal guardians their adoptive parents didn't report them missing so i would have thought that at the very least they should have been charged with child neglect or abuse or anything like that to bring a little bit of justice to this case yeah or i mean even i don't know it but i'd have thought failing to report a missing Mm -hmm. child or something is that not a crime in itself and you'd also think that i mean it sounds like the for the different reasons of them defrauding the state it sounds like this got quite a lot of media attention and i just find it really hard to believe that if at one point they truly did have eight kids they clearly had a lot of kids coming and going including their own daughter's foster kids Mm -hmm. it just strikes me as very strange that no one would have a bit of an idea of what happened in that house i mean Mm -hmm. for two children to disappear without a trace and no one seems to know anything about it except for they never really saw them um Mm -hmm. I don't, you would just hope that someone might have come forward like you say some lead some break I'm not saying you'd be able to solve the case I can't even begin to imagine how hard it is to like historically solve a case but it does seem really really strange that no one's got any clue what happened to it and also no one seems that alarmed by it 
Yeah. And like, why can't they just go to prison and speak to Linda and Edward? Like, why was there no more pressure applied to these two people? Um, and you know, like I said to you earlier, that um, Linda basically said, oh, I'll accept more felony charges if you can release Edward, blah, blah, blah. One of the things that she said was, I'll plead guilty to manslaughter if, if you agree to um, let Edward Bryant face no charges. Like, she literally said manslaughter. She knew she wasn't being charged with anything in relation to her kids, apart from the fact that she was defrauding the state. Mm. Um, so it just seems bizarre to me that she kind of mentions manslaughter. Yeah, and, and you and the police wouldn't go, I'm sorry, did you say manslaughter? I thought we were talking about defrauding. Yeah, no, exactly. And, like, why did they not push at that point and ask, you know, where are the bodies or what happened or any kind of question rather than just being like no we are actually still gonna charge your husband so yeah we're not making that deal well and i think um yeah even if you if you've got that knowledge that for whatever reason this woman is you clearly got some emotion clearly quite likes edward (laughs) um for me i think you know i'm not a detective i don't know how this stuff works but after she'd been sentenced to 42 years i mean for all intents and purposes she is spending the majority of the rest of her life if not the entire thing behind bars so at that point she's got very little reason really to lie so Mm -hmm. at that point i would go hey you're here for 42 years but edward's here but we'll make that nothing if you talk to us about where these boys are because at that point she's really you know she's lost everything already at this point and from the sounds of things Edward's her weak link so mm-hmm. I don't know like you say you just think there'd be some sort of inroad there yeah no definitely unless it's kind of like what you were saying earlier and she didn't want Edward to face any of the felony charges for the fraud and stuff like that because maybe he didn't know because obviously he did say that he didn't know but mm. still it's not that's no excuse not to push it surely yeah well and also regardless of all of this Edward doesn't come up smelling of roses whether he knew or not they were keeping two grand a month he knows what happened to his two missing children so he's party to something here Mm -hmm. isn't he yeah I think she's definitely the mastermind behind it all but he's he's definitely not innocent Mm. so do you think it was all for money I mean because so these were the first children they adopted right Uh uh-huh do I think so, it was all for money? Um, so why did they then get five more? Yeah, I think when, that was for money. By the sounds of things, they're not natural parents. No, no, I think that bit was for money. Getting five more, I think that was for money because you don't normally get um, money from the state in adoptions. It's just because they were, um, I think in some cir- some circumstances, especially in this instance in Colorado, you get it if you adopt spe- um, special needs children or if you are adopting a large number of siblings. So the first adoption was obviously three brothers and two of them had special needs. We don't know about the third. Um, And then the second adoption was either special needs kids, but most definitely five kids from the same family. So I think they knew that they were going to get money from that. And I mean, no, they did. They got like three and a half grand more each. So um, yeah, Mm. overall they were like five and a half grand a month, I think it was. So I think that part was definitely for money. I'm not sure what I think about the abuse and things like that because I really think that we don't know enough. But um, I imagine that the abuse was definitely part of the reason that they wanted to take the boys because to me, that doesn't happen that quickly. Like for... Edward Dillon to be adopted in 2000 and then last be seen in 2001 like that's that's horrifically quick for you know him to then be abused so much that I mean let's face it it's most likely unfortunately that he died as a result of whatever she was doing to him so I don't know but I don't know I'm kind of interested to know what you think about why the youngest brother 
who was about one and a half years old at the time when he was adopted, why he never faced any of the abuse. Do you think that's because he was younger or? Yeah, I suspect so. I mean, it's, you can't read these people's minds, but it strikes me as really odd that the first things they did with these children was try and change their names, mm-hmm. etc. And that kind of makes me lean towards a little bit, I don't know, it's very controlling behaviour ultimately, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And I think, if I was to kind of guess, maybe at that point, Edward Dillard and Austin start really pushing back, mm-hmm. um, maybe causing them some difficulties. And I guess, I don't know, maybe these people had this nice idea of adopting these children and everything, life would be perfect and they could mould them to be exactly how they liked. And that reality was completely crushed, perhaps. Um, and I'm not saying, therefore, the children brought it on. I mean, these are two uh, people who are not well to start with, mm-hmm. clearly, are they? To be able to start hurting children so quickly, just mm-hmm. ghastly. Um, yeah, and then I don't know, maybe, yeah, like you say, the youngest brother was young, he was maybe better. I suppose they could have created a narrative whereby the older two children were bad and, you know, you're the good younger one, etc. And also possibly because he didn't know, he would have been less likely to know his actual biological mother and things like that. So maybe, yeah, exactly. yeah like, like you're saying, it would have been easier to mould the younger boy into being their perfect son, whereas maybe the older two did push back because they wanted to go back to their mother. Yeah, exactly. And I think I've read quite a few books of kind of memoirs of adults who were abused as children. Mm-hmm. And it always, it was one of the things that actually always used to surprise me was that um, growing up in an abusive home, it wasn't always the way that the parents abused all three or all two children. It was quite common, actually, that there'd be one child that the abusive parent was kind of fine with and not even fine with, I think, is what I imagine might have happened here, was particularly in favour of a real Mm -hmm. favourite. They went over and above to see no flaws in that child. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually, in some instances, the children will pick up and also be quite unbelievable to their siblings etc mm-hmm. um if they're sort of elevated into that position and i mean it's hard here because we've got quite little information to go off mm-hmm. um but you do have to think that don't you to think that maybe these two brothers were very close uh probably tried to stick up for each other were old enough to remember their mum probably yeah. pushed back and probably it felt quite us versus them mm-hmm. so you can imagine that it would quite quickly escalate not for one but for both children to a point where you know you don't like to think what possibly must have happened to them. Um, but whereas younger child, much easier and, yeah, could be exactly what Edward and Linda wanted him to be. Yeah. No, that's really interesting, actually. I think that is probably the most likely thing that would have happened there. So in terms of, I don't know, press and media attention, like how much did this case get? Because, I mean, I've not heard of it, but then I haven't heard of any of the cases <laughs> you've picked so far. Um But I'd just be curious because it makes me, it's not similar at all, but if you think of Madeleine McCann over Uh here, missing child, that's the sort of crime that completely grips a nation, Uh isn't it really? I mean, the most vulnerable people in society going missing without a trace, that is exactly the sort of thing that people feed off for years. Um, Especially when there's a suggestion that the parents are involved in it. Exactly. Yeah. So it really surprises me that this wasn't something where people, I don't know, campaigned and made, demanded more answers and things like that. No. And that's what I find quite sad about it is that it's it wasn't really reported on that much. And it was when it was reported on in the news and, you know, they had the mugshots of the parents and stuff like that. They, if you like, if you YouTube it, you'll see like 
they use the hook of like, oh, the the two missing boys, the adopted boys, and they're missing for a decade to like hook the listener in. And then all they talk about is the money and like the defrauding the state. And it does really seem that the way that they defrauded the state was like the big sticking point in this case. And that's the thing that everyone seemed to care about. And, you know, they banded around this like $175,000 figure and, you know, look at all this money these two people have taken from like your taxpayers' money, blah, 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 that kind of thing. And no one, you know, after that initial, these boys have been missing for a decade statement, they never mention it again. And I think that's what's really difficult and really tough about it. And there, there aren't a lot of articles and stuff out there on it. Um, not compared to, you know, the vast amount of articles I come across when I do other cases. And that's mm. kind of what made me really sad about it was that I hadn't really heard about it. And I, I stumbled upon it. And then when I was researching, I was genuinely really, really shocked that like nobody's reported on it more. And I wonder if maybe the parents were convicted of something, would then it have been reported on more? Um, or maybe there's... Um, could it be, I don't know, there's like a media blackout on it just because it's technically an ongoing investigation. And so there's very little that they can report. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. But it's really, really sad. Yeah, I think it's heartbreaking, like you say, to for people's focus to be about money. Yeah. I mean, what price do you put on finding where these two little boys are? Yeah. And as you rightly said earlier on in the episode, to think about their poor biological mum here. Yeah. I mean, she's probably still, well, is still living with mm-hmm. this and probably feels very helpless and heartbroken because you know at the start of this story she made a really tough decision to give her children a better life and I can't imagine what it must be like for her sitting watching news reports where everyone's outraged about £175,000 and not where her children are. Yeah no it is really sad and do you know who else is really really sad for people who really struggle to adopt children like the fact that Mm. these people so easily manage to adopt these kids and there are people out there who really really deserve children that they really want to love and look after and they have trouble adopting children i think it's just it's just awful yeah and i hope as well but i'm guessing from the sounds of it not that maybe some reform has come from this case actually like we said earlier that it doesn't sound like these children were checked up on enough that it does sound like there was a safeguarding issue you hear simply because they were just left to their own devices Mm -hmm. and actually i think if you were yeah it's heartbreaking for people who would love to adopt but also if you're a parent who might have to make a decision this case would really haunt me because i would you assume that you're giving your children a better safer life um and to hear a case like this and if no change has come off the back of it Mm. i think would really make that decision so much more heartbreaking if actually you didn't necessarily know that they were getting what you the life you imagined they were Mm. i'm kind of speculating here and i don't know but based off the reports i've read i reckon the only reform that would have come from this um was the fact that if parents are receiving subsidies from the government that the government checks in more because um, I read one of the quotes from I think it was one of the senators or something like that there the only quote that I read was literally like it's hard to believe you know that we're giving away this much money and obviously I'm paraphrasing here but it was kind of like along Mm. the lines of like it's hard to believe that we're giving these families this much money and no one's checking up on them yeah and so that's what makes me believe that i think there might have been reform but not to the part of the case that we wanted to see a reform made in yeah absolutely like you're leading that sentence with the wrong thing yeah it's hard to believe we're giving away money not it's hard to believe that children can go missing without us knowledge yeah exactly exactly so thanks guys for listening to this episode i'm sorry like i know children cases 
aren't very easy to listen to but I did just think this was quite an important case to highlight um, especially because these boys suffered such a huge injustice and this case just really sort of got lost in the abyss and you know like we said earlier there's very little coverage on it but as I mentioned the case is still open and there's a phone number and contact information in the description box for the investigating agency which is the El Paso County Sheriff's Office just in case there is someone out there who might know what happened i'll also link at the top the two websites that show aged photos of the boys and sort of gives an idea of more what they might look like now they're older if they are alive and i know it's a massive long shot that anyone listening will know anything but you know it's always worth putting it out there just in case so join us next week for that promised episode on the most hated man on the internet maybe i'll get to it next week (laughs) but yeah thank you guys so much for listening oh and i've just got one more thing to say um as Nada said, we really appreciate everyone listening. But if you don't mind sharing this with your friends, giving us a review, be really, really grateful. Um, we're already grateful for all of the support we're getting. Um, but we just love to have as many listeners as possible to share these stories with and, and hear the feedback from. Yeah. So thanks again, guys. Bye. <laughs> thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.